Hey kids, I'm Michelle Carlo and this show is Fish Out of Agua. Last week, I learned that sometimes you just have too much story for only one show. And we have a lot of story to get to again this week, so we're going to set the mood for part two of the story we left off with last week called The Accident. And this is Don't Speak from No Doubt in 
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua. In last week's episode, we ran out of time in the middle of the story of my father's sudden death and the car accident Adam and I were in on the way to his funeral. An accident that left me with a split face, dozens of stitches in my face and mouth, the inability to really speak for several weeks, and which also left me mourning not only the loss of my father, but the loss of what had been the only career I had tried so far in which I achieved any modicum of success, film acting and print modeling. I didn't know what I would do now. Every job I had tried since graduating from the School of Visual Arts had ended in failure. I was now supporting myself as a freelance copy editor and proofreader. Not exactly a job with prestige security or potential for advancement in position or salary. Trying acting again seemed to be my only way out. My only way to achieve my goal, a professional, creative life. But now that I had a visible facial scar and braces, there was only one creative outlet left for me. Only it wasn't really acting. It was performance art. And now, the continuation of Chapter 43 of Fish Out of, Agu- Fish Out of Agua, The Accident, Part 2. Somewhere in the beginning of 1996, I ran into a woman I'd met while taking classes at Gotham City Improv a couple of years before. She invited me to a performance open mic in a space on the Lower East Side called Surf Reality. But I didn't want to go. I told her that one of my other acting teachers had suggested I try to do stand-up comedy, so I'd gone to a new talent night at a well-known comedy club where I begged five friends to pay ten bucks plus a two-drink minimum to come see me be heckled off the stage. I'd been so humiliated, I swore I would never do that again. But my friend insisted that this place, Surf Reality, wasn't like that. She told me how much fun she was having and how she was performing almost every night now. So I talked Adam into going with me. I had been sitting on the top of the stairs in the place called Surf Reality's hallway, the designated tobacco smoking area, having a Nat Sherman and trying to process what I had witnessed in the past hour. There was not only stand-up comedy, which I had expected, but also a woman who painted with her menstrual blood and another woman who expelled first an onion and then a butterfinger bar out of her vagina while a man stood silent next to her for the entire eight-minute act and painted his penis purple. And then an extremely animated, extremely thin woman wearing a fur stole and white thigh-high go-go boots sat down next to me. You know, you could be really hot if you only lost ten pounds. Have you ever heard of the photo shoot diet? I sat there speechless, not knowing whether to laugh or smack this person, who was now explaining to me in day-by-day detail exactly how to lose five to seven pounds in just one week. She was on day four of the regime when the door opened and someone yelled, Hey, Trig, you're up. Come watch me, she said. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'd like you to see it. I followed Trig into the room and in the next eight minutes saw her perform four of the most brilliant, original character monologues I had ever seen. The next performer 
was a man who told a story about how he had failed at everything he ever tried until he became a motivational speaker. By the end of his set, you realized that he had been playing a character all along. Or was he? And this was followed by a group of men wrapped in plastic wrap who did an excerpt from their rock opera accompanied by puppets and then an Israeli woman with beautiful, long, curly brown hair who sang like Aretha Franklin and then another man who played the guitar and sang a song about high school called Whose Life Sucks Now? I was hooked. For the next six months, I sat in the back row of surf reality every Sunday night. Sometimes it was brilliant. Sometimes horrifying. But it was never boring. I watched each week without ever putting my name into the bucket to sign up and get up on stage because I told myself that, oh, this was not real acting and these people would never have been at any of the auditions I had been on. Meanwhile, I was falling in love with whatever this was. I was drawn to the freedom to experiment, something unheard of in the acting circles I had known. But the truth was why I never got up. I was paralyzed with jealousy and fear. Adam finally said to me, you get up and do something or I'm never coming back. So that Sunday, I put my name in the bucket and did a John Patrick Shanley audition monologue. It sucked. But the next week, I tried my stand-up routine, which basically consisted of sticking a wad of gum on the mic stand and cursing in Spanglish while wearing a Betsy Johnson micro mini leopard print, leopard print baby doll dress. The dress killed. I didn't. I hadn't planned to go back to surf reality after that, but then my father died and the car accident happened. And something inside me knew that it was a place where I could at least try to be creative and where it didn't matter if I wore braces or had a visible scar. I was sure I wasn't the only one there who had been scarred. The night I went back to surf reality, it was cool for September. I had just gotten my braces tightened and they stung against my still slightly raw mouth. I planned to do a Craig Lucas monologue about death and imbue it with the sense memory of both my father's death and the death of my acting career. But when my name was called, my knees buckled as I walked to the stage. I wanted to bail, but I also knew that bailing, that running out of there, would make the death of my father and the death of my acting career, the death of me, it would be suicide. I might as well just leave and throw myself in front of an F train. The MC who had been watching me the entire time brought me a stool. It's okay, he said with real compassion in his eyes. You can do this. He just thought I was scared. He had no idea what I'd been through. And this night was another in a long line of accidents. I ditched to Craig Lucas and told the story of my father's death, the car crash, and the cable company call with my mouth sewn shut and how my father would roll over in his grave if he knew I was now paying $50 a month to, month to watch television, especially MTV, since I was 37 years old. And all want a higher cable? I want my MTV. That? No. Not next Tuesday? No. Ah! But so what? 
I liked my MTV now, and I was keeping it. And I didn't care if it or I was good or not. I didn't care if it was art. I just knew that I had to tell that story. Afterward, people came up to me and said, that was beautiful. You made me think about my father. Or, hey, that 1-800 cable bit was kind of funny. You want to be in my show next week? I had once thought of surf reality as a place where only freaks went. Now, I was one of them. Multiply that night and the other alternative stages I would later brave by over a dozen years, and I would learn that not only my words had weight, but that what came from my heart, my experiences, had much more of an impact on an audience, and to me, than reciting someone else's script ever could. I became a writer without realizing it, and would go on to collaborate with some of the most brilliantly deranged minds I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. And sometimes, our collaborations even included <gasps> acting. My braces eventually came off, and after spending half of my woefully inadequate settlement on microdermabrasion treatments and chemical peels, all that's left of the scar over my lip is a faint white line you can only see if you're waking up next to me. One night at Surf Reality, during a break in a show, I ran over to the deli for a beer and saw a man who must have had a similar accident to mine. His lip line, though, didn't meet. I dropped my bottle of Stella to the floor as I realized how lucky I'd been after all. I finally found my way to being an artist. Becoming a storyteller may have been an accident, but it was me, and I loved it. And sometimes, I wonder what my life would have been like if my father had lived, or if the accident hadn't happened. Or maybe... Maybe there are no accidents. You're such a beautiful freak I wish there were more just like you You're not like all of the others that is why I love you Beautiful freak, beautiful freak That is why I love you Beautiful freak, beautiful freak This world. 
dark down I'm getting over cover And know that I accident was definitely a turning point for me. It pretty much divided my life into two parts. Michelle before and Michelle after. You heard Beautiful Freak from the Eels 1996 album of the same name and Criminal by Fiona Apple also from 1996 behind that story. And now it's time for Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week. We've gone back to storytelling world again with this lovely Latina working artist who juggles a day job, well, really a career, with performing, producing, podcasting, and, well, why don't I just let her tell you? And here we are with Fish Out of Agua's guest episode of the week. Woo! We have a great guest artist for you today. You know, we always have to kind of figure out where we meet because, like, you know, I'm, like, meeting so many people, man. No. And anyway, this is from Storytelling World. And the woman with whom I'm sitting right now, she said that she first saw me perform at Harmon Leon's Tale Show a couple of years ago with her good friend, Drew Prashaska. Prash- ah! Correct me. Drew Prohaska. Prohaska. Anyway, so like, yes, so I know her from Storytelling World, and she is an amazing person. She just is doing like five different things at the same time, and I want her to tell you all about them. So let's welcome my prima Latina sister in stories, Vanessa Valerio. Hola. Hola. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is so much fun. We haven't even started, and I'm already having a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, I started this because I just, I just want to like showcase my friends, because all my friends are doing all this great art. All my friends are also, um, not all, but most, of, many of my friends are like awesome people of color that are doing great art. And you know, our stories are traditionally not the ones that get heard. Our stories are traditionally the ones that get overlooked and dismissed. So this is the forum for it. So tell me what you're doing, Vanessa. I'm doing a little bit of everything. Let's start with I... stories. Okay, I produce a very awesome podcast that if you're not listening, oh my God, shame on you. Shame. (laughs) It's called Singling, and it showcases love and dating stories from storytellers, comedians, and just regular people. Sometimes I just go to to a bar or to even a club I went one time on, on the street, and I just ask random people about the theme of the month. And actually, this month, we're talking about love. So I collected a bunch of love stories from storytellers, 
Uh, my grandma told told me how she met my grandfather. That is so cool. Yeah, it's in Spanish, so I'm still editing, and that's the reason why I haven't released the episode because it's a little, you know, difficult because yeah. I want everyone to listen about it, but it's in Spanish. I want to hear your abuela story. Oh yeah, my God. it's very sweet. Is it from the DR? Yeah, I'm Dominican, by the way. That's okay. Dominicans and Puerto Ricans see coexisting. Clink, clink. Cheers. <laughs> Actually, one of my best friends is uh, from Puerto Rico. Oh, they all say that. <laughs> I, I promise you. And when when we met and we just clicked so much, and, and I'm like, don't tell my dad that you're Puerto Rican. Oh, my I'm God. Kidding. No, <laughs> no. There's a thing like that in my family, too. One, one of my, my cousins um, married. Actually, I had two cousins that married Dominican. And, like, so there's one of my stories from Fish Out of Aqua is, is the wedding where the two cousins are getting, you know, getting married. And there's, like, this, like, uh, line of demarcation on the floor between, like, Vega Alta and, like, Punta Cana. And it's crazy. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. But what I want to know is, um, let, let's let's backtrack a little bit. I want to know what gave you the idea for singling, because that's such a cool friggin' idea. Well, I... The, the name, the name is gorgeous. The name, the uh, name actually, is Actually, one of my best friends, Mauricio, that now lives in London, helped me with the name. We were brainstorming, and we came up with that name. And I started it because it's so freaking difficult to date in this city. I mean, dating in general, in every city, it's difficult, especially when you're not like in school and you're not in your early 20s. I'm in my mid-30s, and just it was difficult. Here, specifically in New York, mm. guys just don't want to settle. Every guy, and even women, just is waiting for the next best thing. Yeah, you're a perfectly good person, very pretty, successful, whatever, but there's someone else that has your qualities and more. So everyone is always wondering, what if, you know? Did you see that in the other cities where you lived? I, you, I know you've lived in D.C. Did you, you lived in Florida for a bit too, right? Well, my family lives in Florida, but I have never lived in Florida. Okay. I lived in D.C. four years, and it was so difficult to, live, to, to date in D.C. I didn't Was have, it worse? It, I think it was worse for me because I didn't have too many things in common with the people in D.C. People in D.C. are a little more serious. Mm. And right, I'm not like New York. We're all like... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I like more creative <laughs> guys. And yeah, I'm, I'm very open-minded, and I want the guy that I date to be yeah. very open-minded, yeah. too. So I actually had a boyfriend when I lived in D.C. that lived in the Dominican Republic. Oh, my God. So, That's... Yeah. I, didn't, I never really dated anyone in wow. D.C. Wow. And then I moved to New York, and I was dating a lot. I... Seriously, I would go on three and two on three dates per week. Wow! And I would go on several dates with the same person, but nothing, never went to anything serious because people just want want to play. And I'm like, this is crazy. How can I combine? I I'm a storyteller, and I I'm like, let me see how can I combine the things that I like, telling stories. And dating because yeah, it sucks to date, but you also have fun and you have a good story so, out of it. And also, I'm like, maybe I can I can learn from other people's stories. Mm. So, and I have learned a lot. I've been doing singling for a year, and I've learned so many things from different people from different cities, different countries, and different, different ages. ages. Yes, like, it's 
and, and 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 different gender, like dating between uh, heterosexual people and and gay and and like you know uh, trans and everything. Everybody's got. You think it's all the same because love is love, but and this is true. But everybody has their own little customs. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's like little things that are are just like just different enough, like the way that they are different between cultures. You know it, what I mean? Exactly, and it's just, just like little subtleties. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, it's that very you interesting, say that and with age too. With age, like different, there's different like dating. Like in your fifties, is totally. I mean, I was like old school. Like the boyfriend that I have now, I don't like. I met him at Bowery Poetry Club. I hadn't been with anybody for um, about eighteen months. I was like, I was off men because I had had a divorce. And like nothing worked. I had the same thing. Like like people didn't want. They didn't want me. They just wanted to like blah blah. And I was like, I'm in my fucking mid forties, man. I'm just like no. And mm-hmm. I just I went off of it. And then one night I was at the Old Bowery Poetry Club at eleven o'clock, and I was heckling my friend because I could do that. And I almost fell off a bar stool. And I met Larry, and I took him home. And it's going to be eight years in April. <laughs> It's a story. It's a story, you know. Yeah. But um, so Singling just had its first, its first anniversary. Yeah, right? at January uh, we turned one, and we celebrated it with a live show. It was packed, and all the money that we raised, we donated it to Planned Parenthood. Awesome! So Yay! It was, yeah, I was very happy. It definitely was one of the best nights of my life. That's so cool. And you're going to have more because, like, I hear the Singling is going to different cities. How did that come yeah. about? Yeah. Oh, my God. So... This show was such a success, and I had so much fun doing it, and I really love making events, making mm-hmm. things happen, so I'm like, maybe I can bring this to other CDs, and the next CD that we're going to have a live show, it's in D.C., mm. because I kind of know people there, and I've done the moth there, so I already met a few storytellers, and I'm going to co-host it with the host of the Moth in D.C., Cara Foran. Oh, cool. And it's going to be at the Black Cat on April 1st. Oh, I performed there. It's a good space. I did, I did a show there with the, the Story League with Scott Shrake years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, funny. It's, it's all like this concentric circle yeah, of it's storytelling. All, it's, it's all... It, yeah, it's all... I want to say incestuous, but it's not really incestuous. It's just like... It's it, it, it's 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 like the cat chasing its tail. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How did you get into storytelling? Um, I used to do improv when I first moved to New York. Oh, okay. What company did you do? Or what what class? At the Pit. The Pit is great. I love the Pit. I really love I, the I pit interviewed too. Peter Michael Marino um, last week. He's going to be on next you, on the next episode. I think you're going to be in the next next one. Okay. Yeah. So I'll definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, when I was doing improv, I was also, um, my day job is architecture. I'm mm-hmm. an airport planner. And I was going to JFK every day. I had meetings sometimes at 8.30 in the morning. So I was really tired when I was performing at the end. And one of my teammates said, you know, you write... Because I also used to write a blog about all of my dating stories. Mm. And she was like, you know, you write about all of your dating stuff. And you're kind of funny. I think you would like storytelling. I had no idea what it was. And I went... My first storytelling show that I went was Young's The Word. Oh, Robin show. Yeah, yeah, that's a great show. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I can do that. And I enrolled in a class with David Crabb. Oh, another. I'm trying to get him to, to be on Fish Out of Agua. That's great. Oh, that's great. God. Oh, um, so, anyways, I thought it would be, it's going to be so easy for me to do this. 
And then I realized the storytelling, it's a lot of work. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like not... people really don't realize it, no. but you have to write your story, perform it, test it out. It's a lot of work. It's one of the things that I found the most challenging when I started was that you write a story, but when you tell it, you use different vocabulary. You use different, you, you, you simplify true. your language. Because when you, um, you're speaking vocabulary, you probably only use maybe like three or 4,000 words. You know, because you simplify. You're just having a casual conversation. But your intellectual reading vocabulary could be like 50 or 60,000 words. And, yeah. you know, if you, and there's a, not, not a danger, but so the challenge is not to sound stilted. And you don't want to sound like you're, you're memorizing something like from, I don't know, like, like, like from Sunday school or something exactly. like that. Or like a poem that you're like memorizing you're in 10th grade. Yeah. yeah, like you're reading, a, yeah. you're reading a poem. So the challenge is to get the language to be colloquial, but to still have it be sparkling and fresh. It's, it's difficult. And, For me, it was a big challenge because English is not my first right, language. Right. So you're was, an immigrant. I'm an immigrant from fish out of agua. Woo! So, <laughs> so it was it was a challenge, but I really love it. I mean, storytelling and everything that I do that is storytelling related is what makes me happy right now. That's so great, and you have to see that she is just like she is smiling. There's like rainbows coming out of her eyes, <laughs> Latinos and rainbows. So, <laughs> Oh my God, <laughs> platanos and rainbow. I'm hungry. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, full full disclosure, we're sitting here having a glass of wine, and I haven't eaten since t- two in the afternoon. So this wine is getting me a little tipsy. Uh-huh. I would love some platanos right now. And speaking of um, being immigrants, immigration, yes, 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 that was leading so me to the next thing. I I am writing a solo show that I'm going to perform at the end of April. For which festival? It's the migrant festival. Migrant. Migrant? Migrant. Migrant. See, um, English is not my first language. Yeah, hey, look, I can't pronounce Drew's last name. You migrant, <laughs> migrant, migrant, tomato, tomato. Yeah, so it's at the Crane Theater. Oh, cool. The, the last weekend of April. It's, it's a festival. Yeah, it's a festival. Oh, that's great. So um, um, who's your director? Uh, David Crabb is helping me with it. That's so good. Is he coming yeah. back to New York? No, we're doing it online. On Skype? Oh, yeah. my God. These millennials with all that technology. I love it. That's and, so and fantastic. I don't, I'm not sure that I'm a millennial. No, no, that's right. Actually, you're not. And I need to say, no, David is certainly not. Oh, snap. Sorry, David. <laughs> yeah, no. That's so great that you're doing the festival. Yeah, I'm so, very excited about that. It's the first solo show that I'm doing. Good. Congratulations. Oh, it, it, it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. You're going you're gonna, to, after you do it, you're going to be like, I want to do more, I want to do more, I want to do more. So, um, so can you tell us what the name of the show is and what it's about? I still don't have a name, okay. but it's about my life as an immigrant. I've lived in my life in the Dominican Republic. Then I moved to Spain. Wow. And then I lived in D.C. and now I'm in New York and... I'm probably gonna keep moving, so. So why? why? Who's throwing you out? Sick me on them. <laughs> no, I don't want you to hear. No, well, why, don't, why, don't, why don't you pretend you're Puerto Rican? <laughs> That's what my father used to say that Dominicans used to do to stay in New York oh back in God. the day. Because I asked him, I said, why don't the, why do Dominicans and Puerto Ricans don't get along? It's like, well, it's not like they don't get along, Michelle. It's just that some some of them don't tell the truth. <laughs> Oh, well, well uh, that doesn't really surprise me, actually. 
I, I don't know. And like, there's like people say like there's this rivalry, and I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Either. I don't see it either. And like, my dad was being facetious when he said that, but th- that's what used to be like the rumor that people would just say that they were Puerto Rican, and like, okay, so so what? We're all the same thing anyway. We are. Like, I, my roommate, my roommate is Puerto Rican, and I love him like he was my brother. Yeah, it's it's like we're all we're all like this the primos. We're yeah. all cut from the same. Cl- Falda. I don't know. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand why these times are trying to divide us more when they should be making us closer together. I agree. Yeah. Especially at these times. We should definitely be closer together. Definitely. Well, I, th- I think that when you and I get our stories out there and more and more people hear them, and I think people sometimes are a little bit like nervous about what they don't know. And once you know somebody and you know something and you know a culture, then it's not strange to you anymore. I think maybe I agree. maybe some of the people that are just um, very anti-immigration, maybe they don't know anybody that came here recently. That, which is which I mean, is I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm to believe yeah. because this country was built by immigrants. I know. I mean, and, and I yeah. think I I always say that immigrants. Um, I know that Americans were very hard, work very hard, but we work twice as hard. We as have to. Because we have to prove ourselves. Yeah. And believe me, we don't take this opportunity for granted. No, nobody does. And that's why, that's why we, um, we get our stories out there, because we need them to be heard. So you're doing singling, and you're doing the migrant, the migrant festival. Exactly. And, I also, and I also produce and co-host... Uh, Party of Two, which is a live show of com- comic storytelling um, with Anita Flores. Oh, I love Anita. Yeah, we it's a it is a monthly show. It's it's very funny. So if you guys so, haven't been, you should you should go. The next one is going to be on March 11th at the Pleasure Chest. Oh, the Pleasure Chest? You mm-hmm. mean the toy store? Uh, the pleasure, the pleasure chest. Yes, is like that a toy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, cool. So when people want to find out about Vanessa Valerio and singling and the migrant festival and party of two, where should they go? VanessaValerio.me or uh, WeAreSingling.com. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Vanessa, and we'll go finish our wine and have a little goof before we Thank head back you. to Brooklyn. All Bye. right. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. I actually interviewed Vanessa way back in March, so the shows that you were hearing her talk about happened in March and uh, April 1st, which will be like almost two weeks ago by the time this airs tomorrow, April 11th. Sorry about that, but I held on to Vanessa's interview for this episode because of our next stories. And I hope, Vanessa and everybody out there, that you think that they are a good fit also. Well, time's about to run out on the 20th century and fish out of agua land, people. But before we start the party like it's 1999, a quick word from fellow Radio Free Brooklyner, Jim Malone. Hey, Jim Malone here, host of 50 Years Ago This Week. Groove with me to the great music of 1967 every Tuesday night, 8 to 10 p.m. here on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now, Chapter 45 of Fish Out of Agua, Red Sheep. Adam and I were with my cousin Evie and her boyfriend, Alex, at La Caridad, 
the long-established Upper West Side Chino-Latino restaurant on Broadway and 77th Street in Manhattan. They had called saying that they wanted to take us to lunch and they had something to ask us. I was excited to go, not only because I hadn't seen Evie in a while, but also because the food at La Caridad was yummy. I couldn't wait to order from the old Chinese waiter. Um, por favor, quiero una ensalada bacalao y tostones con extra mojito, por favor. The waiter stuck his nose in the air, gave me some side eye, and asked me if I was Puerto Rican because my Spanish was so bad. He was, of course, Cuban, and everyone knows that Cubans speak the best Spanish, along with the Colombians, Argentinians, Spaniards, and Japanese sarcasm intentional. Alex, always the peacekeeper, stepped in to facilitate the ordering. And when he finished, the waiter snorted, and you must be Dominican. The waiter was two for two. Alex was Dominican. After a delicious lunch, I wanted to order an espresso to go at the takeout counter. So I walked up to the counter and said, Dame un café negro. No response. Um, dame un café negro. The counterman glared at me. What did you say? He asked in heavily accented English. And I was starting to get annoyed. Was he messing with me? Was he deaf? So I went, I said, Dame un café Negro! I swear, the man leaped over the counter holding a machete, or at least a butter knife. Okay, it was a spoon, but still, he did leap over the counter as if he wanted to chop me up into the sofrito, and Alex jumped between us and begged, Por favor, please, she does not know Spanish. Yes, I do, I insisted in an attempt to save face. No, she doesn't, Alex insisted. Look at her, and he dragged me out of there. Once we were all out on the sidewalk, Edie and Adam started laughing like crazy. And I, w- I was confused. Why would that man do that, I asked. Why did you say that? All I asked for was th- for a black coffee. And then Alex said, no, you didn't, Michelle. And Alex could barely speak because he was also laughing so hard. What you said to that very large, very black man was, give me a coffee, Negro. Oh, whoops, I said, oh my God, and even I had to laugh. Yes, the words were correct, but my inflection was in the wrong place. And sometimes, in language as in other things, a little knowledge is a most dangerous thing. So, yeah, maybe I didn't speak the best Spanish in New York City, but at least I tried. And so what if it sounded like I learned it from high school classes and hearing my relatives tell secrets and yell at each other? What little I did know, I had absorbed from the air, like humo. Oh, Michelle, you're always so dramatic, Evie said. But she, too, was still laughing. Oh, Alex said, this reminds me of what I wanted to ask you guys. Evie and I are getting married next spring, and we want you both to be in our wedding party. Evie and Alex were high school sweethearts and had been together for 10 years now. It was somewhat rebellious at first because there is supposed to be a long-standing rivalry between Puerto Ricans and Dominicans. My father used to say jokingly, repeat jokingly, that I could bring home anyone I wanted except a Dominican. 
And then I had asked him once, laughing, well, can I bring home a girl then, Daddy? And he answered, yes, as long as she's not Dominican. My father died that summer, but if he had been there, he would have been so happy for them. He loved Alex. We all did. And no joking, Evie was lucky to have him. He was lucky to have her. They were lucky to have each other. Hooray, Adam said, hugging Alex and Evie at the same time. Congratulations. And Alex turned around and smiled at me. And I hesitated before smiling back. The last time I had been in a relationship with someone for this long, and a couple close to us had gotten engaged, it precipitated our breakup. But I looked at Adam, who seemed genuinely thrilled for my cousin and soon-to-be cousin, and thought, maybe this time I didn't have to worry. When my abuelita had died a few years before, Adam, who was Jewish, was mystified by the Latin-style three-day open-casket wake with wailing and prayers and gnashing of teeth. But on the last night of my father's wake that summer, I saw him kneeling in front of my father's casket, and before he knew I was there, overheard him say, Don't worry, Rudy. I'll take care of her. Adam's family wasn't religious. They were what he called holiday Jews. They celebrated Hanukkah, Passover, Rosh Hashanah, or what Adam used to call Rosh Homa, and, if they were so inclined, Yom Kippur, although Adam always maintained he never had anything to atone for. As for me, from my pentathelic, Catholic versus Pentecostal upbringing, I welcomed the little suffering of my religion sometimes, and I liked the idea of fasting and reflecting for a day, and sometimes did it for the both of us. I came out of my reverie. Cousin Evie was standing in front of me, smiling. With her short hair, short dress, and big round eyes, she looked like her mother, Titi Dulce had, thirty years before. Like the next generation of the Boricua Mia Faro. Wait till you see the dresses I picked out, Michelle, she said. I looked over at Adam and Alex and smiled. Evie and I walked back over to them. Maybe there wasn't anything to worry about this time, after all. La Caridad is one of the few old-school New York restaurants that hasn't yet been pushed out by a Starbucks, Walgreens, or ATM. So go while you still can. I still remember that bacalao. It was so yummy. Well, you heard merengue superstar Oro Solido's La Morena, the brunette, from 1997's El Poder, the power of New York underneath that story. Next up, there comes a time for almost every Latinx family when they have to face the realities of intermarriage, as in our next chapter, chapter 46 of Fish Out of Agua, A Tale of Two Weddings. How can you tell a Puerto Rican bride at a wedding? Well, she's the one wearing something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, something pink, something green, something orange, something striped, something plaid, something polka dot, something leopard print. I love my cousin Evie. I really do. Oh, but that bridesmaid dress. Oh, my God. When Evie saw her, saw her six bridesmaids come out of the dressing room, she cried. When I saw my reflection in the mirror, so did I the flounced, 
ruffled, ruched, sweetheart necklined, asymmetrical hemmed, dark purple satin, puffed sleeve dress with two layers of crinoline, reminded me of being a little girl at a birthday party in Washington Heights, eating Valencia cake and scratching at myself because the damn thing itched so much. The fact that I'd be wearing a dress like this at a wedding party at the age of 38 didn't do anything to assuage my horror. For every modern New Yorican family, there comes a time when they must finally accept the reality of intermarriage. As when my cousin Evie married a Dominican. At Evie and Alex's wedding, there was a champagne fountain, a 12-piece salsa band, and the most segregated room since George Wallace ran for president. Santo Domingo was on one side, Corozal was on the other. But when the band started, though, and as long as the music played, the dance floor transformed into a tangle of hips and hair and feet. But the second it stopped, two shades of brown and beige glared at each other across an invisible Mason-Dixon line. And then the two groups would just return to their respective sides, glaring at their dance partners from just a second ago. But Evie and Alex didn't notice. They were in love. But I noticed, because I was the pale-skinned, freckle-faced red sheep of my family. I could hardly speak Spanish. I couldn't really dance salsa, and I had never fit in. And I was sure that by now, everyone knew it. I excused myself to go to the bathroom and found two of Alex's cousins sharing a Newport light. One looked like 20 pounds of salchicha, sausage, stuffed into a six-pound bag. The other like a Dominican Gothic in black lipstick and white tube socks. And the second they saw me go into the bathroom stall, out came the Spanish. Oye, ¿quién es, ese ¿quién es esa blanquita colorada? Hey, who's that white redheaded girl? The redhead? Oh no, she's not white. She's Evie's cousin. Oh, oh, oh. ¿Y quién es el hombre con ella que no puede bailar? Tampoco. Who's the guy with her that can't dance either? Oh, him? I think he's the boyfriend. I heard he's a judío. Un judío? A Jew? Aquí? No creo. A Jew? Here? I don't believe it. Ay, pobrecita. That must be all she can get. So, yeah, my boyfriend was a Jew. A long-haired, six-foot-three-and-a-half-inch, gothic, rock-and-roll Jew. The black sheep of an academic family. An artist and an outsider like me. Now, there have been only a few times in my life in which I have exhibited any kind of cojones, courage. This was one of them. The cousins laughed until I came out of that stall armed and dangerous with nearly five years of high school Spanish and 38 years of playing La Boba, the fool. Oye, Goldita, tiene la hora? Hey, fatty, got the time? The two stood there their faces slowly crumbling like pieces of morcilla, blood sausage, as they realized I had understood everything they said. And as they spluttered their apologies, I said, Mira, no me joda. Look, don't effing bother me. You are so busted. Have a nice day. I got my revenge, though. I married my Jew. The wedding was on the 11th anniversary of the day Adam and I met at CBGB's gallery. And it was at CBGB's gallery. We scrubbed and decorated the place and called the event 
the Russo-Rican extravaganza. We stood under a chuppah, and I took communion. Adam broke a glass, and I read an ancient Taino prayer. We ate paella and brisket, empanadas and canishas, arroz con gandules, platano maduro, green beans, almendine, and chopped liver. Titi Dulce sang hymns in Spanish and had all the rosins, druckers, and spiegelmans clapping for Alleluia Jesus. Kevin gave me away, and even Titi Ophelia had a swell time. A few weeks later, though, something strange was happening to my mind. I started worrying about now that I was officially Jewish by injection, could this mean that I had unconsciously or consciously rejected my culture? Was I guilty of diluting the gene puddle? Had I finally betrayed whatever little ethnic identity I had, if I had any at all? A few years later, I came out of the subway into a cold December drizzle and saw a very tiny, very brown, very bewildered woman being asked by a well-meaning yuppie couple, uh, como su piragua? How is your snow cone? I walked over and I asked the woman in Spanish if she needed help. Por favor, she said. Ah, estoy perido. I'm lost. And ese blanquito son loco. These white people are crazy. And she asked if I knew how to get to 10th Avenue. Yeah, I do. I'll walk with you, I said. And on the way, I found out she was from El Salvador and was here to live with her sister and study to be a dentist. Ooh, hace frío, she said. It's cold. Was it always so cold at night? <laughs> Espera hasta que nieva, I said. Wait till it snows. We walked in silence another moment or two, and suddenly the woman stopped and turned to me and said, You must be Puerto Rican. What? I halted mid-stride and nearly fell over. What? Huh? What? Me? Puerto Rican? Why do you think? How do you know? A lifetime of insecurities that had long been swept behind sofas, stuffed into closets, and half buried in shallow graves spilled out into the rain. How did she know? Was it my lousy Spanish? The red hair, the pale skin, the freckles, the complete absence of rhythm in my walk. What? 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 And the woman, who was at most four feet ten inches high, looked up at all five foot three and three quarter inches of me and said, No, I thought you must be Puerto Rican because you are so tall. Because I was tall. To her, I was tall. And of course she knew I was a Latina. Because that's what I was. And never mind language, dancing, food, family, politics, religion, the shape of my body, the texture of my hair, my chosen profession, who I chose to share my life with, or anything else. I was a Latina. I couldn't wait to run home and tell Adam. But when I did, he said, Yeah? So? What's the big deal? Why do you still care so much? Can't you just be satisfied with who you are? Who I was? Who was I? Forty-three years, and I still didn't know. And sadly, neither did he. 
I didn't know it at the time, but we were beginning our slow drift apart. He was home all day painting, or trying to, and I was working ten-hour days at my new but still freelance job in what I called fashion land, staying an extra couple of hours on top of it every night to write shows and performances because we still couldn't afford a computer at home. He was lonely. I was frustrated. Adam didn't understand that I needed him to get a steady job so I didn't have to worry about shouldering all the burden of financials. And I didn't understand that even though I was finally realizing my dream of being a performer, maybe it wasn't good to be away from my husband so much. And thus we continued for a little while until we couldn't anymore. And we're back. For the record, my cousins Evie and Alex are still together. Congrats, you two crazy kids. Woohoo! So that was a 90s Latinx trifecta under that story with clips from I Need to Know from Mark Anthony's self titled album and Quitate de la, de la Via Perico or Get Out of the Way from Celia Cruz's tribute to Ishmael Rivera and from the Maestro, Tiro Puente. Ran Can Can, which means Ran Can Can. <laughs> it was originally released back in 1974, but I played the version from 1992's Mambo Kings movie soundtrack. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I totally disliked, no, actually, I hated salsa music when I was young. But I definitely love and appreciate it now. <laughs> I just shake my damn head sometimes. <laughs> well, kids, that's our show. You've been listening to Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. There's just four episodes left, well, I think five, before we end this season and our book. So if you like what you've been hearing, consider sponsoring us. Just click on the little green button at the bottom of the Fish Out of Agua page on RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and let Patreon take care of the rest. You can do it for as little as $1 per episode, and with four episodes left, well, that's the cost of a one-day FunPass MetroCard in 1999. And speaking of 1999, <laughs> next week our stories will launch into a new century. So let's close today with one of the awesomest, I think, party songs of all time for one of the greatest, I think, party performers of all time. Foreshadowing the turn of the century from 1982, the late, great Prince. See you next week. <laughs>